friends. And you know what? The weather is pretty nice for July 71st. <laughs> According to the meme I saw today, which was 1000% accurate, I am so beyond done with this weather. I really am. I'm from the South. I can tolerate heat. I was born in Texas. But it is October 2nd. Like, the pumpkins were sweating today. Okay? That's the situation on the ground here. I don't know what the weather is like where you are. I saw that um, it snowed three feet in Montana in September the other day. Like, not in all of September. Like, in one day. Three feet of snow. And I thought, why can we not even catch a breeze? I just want a little breeze. But, alas, that is not for us. That is not the life that we have chosen to live down here in the dirty south. But I can transcend the weather and I can transcend my sweaty state of mind because I have had England on my mind since Saturday. Okay, at the Wild and Free Conference, there was a lady named Leah Bowden and she is like the most quintessential sounding British lady. She has a, the perfect accent to get up on the stage and talk to you about tea and making your tea. She was so fabulous to listen to. And she gave us a talk. Um, she gave a talk about, well, the, the acronym that she used was tea, T-E-A. And it was it was meant to remind us about stuff about homeschooling, and I'm sure that it did. I'm sure that if I had my notes, if I had glanced over my notes again, I would remember exactly what it was about. But I mostly was just overcome with the desire to hop online and buy myself a plane ticket to England because I miss England so bad, and I miss England so bad this time of year because this was the time of year when we moved to England. And that was a while ago. Like, I'm sad to think how long ago that was. But it was in 2000. Let me do some math. Five, 2005, yes. 2005 to 2006 was when we lived in England. And then 2006 to 2007 was when we lived in Croatia. So I cannot believe it has already been that long since we lived there. But I loved it. Loved it. And so ever since hearing her come up on the stage and she made a pot of tea, a spot of tea, she made a pot of tea on stage as her visual aid and walking us through how the different stages of making a pot of tea and how it related to her acronym TEA. Uh, all of it was really, really cute and it was helpful and useful and good. And don't think poorly of her presentation by the fact that I'm not rattling off to you exactly what TEA stands for. <laughs> but the point is, I have had England on the brain ever since. And so I thought maybe I would indulge myself a little bit of storytelling tonight and tell y'all a little bit about my year in England in story form. Okay, because I could just give you, like, the news report. I could say, well, we moved to England, and it was in September, and it took us two weeks 
to find a house. So we were living with someone for two weeks and that was fine, but we were really glad to get, so I, you don't want that. You don't want the, the news report or the, oops, I forgot to silence my phone. Okay. Fixed it. Um, don't you love that text alert sound? It's a telegraph or yeah, I think it's called the telegraph. I stole it. My, my, um, best friend growing up, her name is Erin, and I went to visit her a while back and, um, heard her phone doing this cool sound. And I was like, what, what is that? What sound is that? What kind of phone do you have? She's like, it's an iPhone. I'm like, I want that. So I immediately that day changed my text message to that cool sound, telegraph sound or whatever it is. Anywho, I didn't mean to have that turned on. Sorry. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, let me make sure I have my, okay. My computer was also not muted. Wow. I am so good at this. Okay. Anyway, we lived in England and I'm not going to give you the boring report. Like I'm not going to give you the, um, tedious blow by blow of what moving to England was like, but suffice it to say, I was in love with England from the second we got there because I love British literature by and large there. I'm having a difficult time thinking of any British literature that I have read that I did not like in some form. Um, even the really dark, heavy Victorian, you know, someone is standing on a moor, um, crying out, you know, wailing in the wind. I love it. And actually one of my great regrets about our year in England is that I never went and stood on a moor and, and wailed into the wind. I kept I kept telling Chris, like, when are we going to go to a moor? And he's like, what are you talking about? And I'm like, in British literature, everyone is always just on the moor, you know, walking on the moor and crying on the moor and picnicking on the, and he's like, I don't, I don't know. I don't know where to find a moor. And I'm like, I'm sure they're around here somewhere. The closest we ever got was we went to the Lake District and that is beautiful. It is in the upper, it's in the north end of the country as you approach the Scottish border. Um, and it is just amazing. Actually, quick little side note story time. The first weekend we were in England we had not even like begun to acclimate to British culture, British, the British language. It, they do speak English, but as it is an entirely different brand of English and you are very likely to get yourself confused or in trouble if you don't know some of the buzzwordy, um, opposite things to say, but we had, le we had legitimately no knowledge. Okay. So we're brand new and our coworkers were very kind and polite and they were like, would you like to go hill walking with us? And we were like, oh yeah. Um, what's yeah. Hill walking. Okay. That sounds good. Sure. You know, and they're like, we're going to go to the Lake district. It's gorgeous. We'll eat fish and chips. We'll have a picnic, you know, wear walking shoes. Cause we're going hill walking. Okay. We thought we were going walking on some hills. That is not what we were doing. <laughs> hill walking is called high. It's what hiking is called. And we were 1000% not prepared for it. I don't think either of us had proper walking shoes. <laughs> I think I was wearing something akin to like, um, like some Toms. I don't think they were Toms cause I don't think Toms had been invented yet or I didn't know about them yet, but they were something like Toms, not like hiking boots. So anyway, we almost died the first weekend. It was really, it was really embarrassing and we were really young. We should have been in good shape, but we weren't. Anyway, so, uh, right after we got to England, we, um, we spent two weeks 
um, where we were in between. They hadn't found us a place to live before we got there, which I was glad for because, you know, I'm kind of a control freak. So, like, I definitely wanted to choose where I lived. So, I was totally cool with that. So, for two weeks, we were looking for a house, and then we found a house, and then we moved into the house. But, um, but while that was going on in the background, we were working on learning how to drive. So, um, you learn how to drive, you know, they drive on the other side of the road. So that's the main issue, obviously. And we were, um, we were getting our, we wanted to get our driver's license, like pass a, pass a driving test because we didn't actually know how long we were going to be in England. And there was a possibility that we were going to have to stay longer than a year. And if you have to stay longer than a year, you have to do something a little more complicated with your driver's license. So we wanted to take um, steps. Oh, here comes the train again. I had to wait on another train tonight, y'all. Another really long train. So while I was waiting, I watched a video of Kane Brown performing on the Ellen show. <laughs> Kane Brown and Marshmallow performing on the Ellen show. Um, because, uh, oh, hello. Because this is like my little name drop claim to fame. I was Kane Brown's drummer's teacher my first year teaching. He was in my seventh grade class and now I'm just like so proud of him. <laughs> so anytime I see anything about Kane Brown, I go and I run and I watch it. Anyway, um, so back to what I was saying. We wanted to learn to drive because we wanted to make sure we were prepared in case we needed to take the driving test. Okay. So, and you have to prove that you like took real classes and stuff. So, um, they signed us up for driving lessons with a driving instructor. And also they completely... <laughs> profiled us and the office, um, the organization we were going to England, we were living in England to work for had a fleet of cars that they would assign to the people coming and working in the office and in the entire fleet of cars. And I want to say this fleet was like several dozen cars. Okay. We're not talking like five cars. We're talking like three dozen cars. There was one automatic transmission. All the rest were stick shift. Guess what we were super excited about learning to drive when we got to England? Because we heard that all the cars there were stick shifts. And we drove a stick shift. Our car in the U.S. was a stick shift. They gave us the one car with the automatic transmission because they were like, oh, you see, Americans usually can't drive the stick shift, especially with the left hand. And we were like, what? <laughs> we don't get to learn. Oh, we were so disappointed. Also, it was purple. It was super ugly. We called it the purple people leader. And we had like very little love for it. But we were glad. I mean, it was a good thing. It was nice to have a car. I don't want to sound ungrateful. It was nice to have a car. You know, we didn't have to like pay for it or anything. We just had to put gas in it. That was great. But purple downgrade. Automatic transition, transmission, major downgrade. But I digress. So they signed us up for driving lessons, and we climbed into the Purple People Leader and picked up our driving teacher. And all she did for days straight was, like, low-key insult our driving. <laughs> like, we would, you know, just be driving along. And the main things we had to learn was, obviously, um, you know, flawlessly staying on the left side of the road. That was the most important part. But roundabouts stuff like that, and also road signs. 
So, but what she was completely upset, and we were doing fine. We were doing good. We didn't have any near-death experiences. But what she was totally preoccupied with was the fact that we don't hold the steering wheel the correct way. So, when you, you know when you learn to drive in America, where do you put your hands? Everybody say it with me. Ten and two. Didn't everyone's dad say that? Hands at ten and two. Ten and two. Keep your hands on the wheel. Ten and two. Right? Okay, it's the opposite. In England, uh, not only are you not supposed to have your hands over, like on top of the wheel at 10 and 2, you're supposed to have them positioned at what would basically be like, let's see if it's 10, 11, 12, 1, 2. This would be like 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, like 4 and 8. And you're supposed to be gripping the wheel underhand. So like palms up grasping the wheel. And then to make a turn, you're never, ever, ever supposed to go hand over hand. Like, isn't that what we love to do? You let hand over hand big, like we do big movements of the wheel. Oh no. British driving is your hands are at four and eight under the wheel. And you're doing these tiny little micro shuffles of the wheel between your hands. So if you're doing a turn, like if you're left hand turning, you're supposed to pass the wheel like grab it with your left hand and shift it a little, then grab it with your right and pull a little. So you're pulling the wheel. Never hand over hand. Never big turns. Oh my goodness. She wrote us relentlessly about this. And she just had these little snarky comments that say, she's like, hmm, well, that's interesting. You know, she'd watch us drive and then it's like, you knew you were doing something wrong, but you weren't sure what. She let us drive like that for the whole first day. And then the next day she was like, so it's rather interesting how you, uh, how you put your hands on the wheel, you know, and we're like, what are we doing wrong? We're just driving. You know, we did everything right. We stayed on the left side of the, the road. What do you want from us, woman? But what she wanted from us was to do it the right way. So alas, eventually we did satisfy her that we had learned how to drive the right way with our hands under the wheel. And then we took great delight for the rest of the year that we lived in England at, um, like reproving one another for not driving the right way. <laughs> now, sometimes for fun, if I'm bored in the car, I'll start trying to remember how to drive British and see, see how long I can last with my hands on the wheel like that, but it's not very long. So, you know, learning to drive was, um, like the very first, you know, that was the pressing urgent need. Cause in order to get around and in order to go, like we had to go, um, the house we got was unfurnished. So we had to go get furniture for the house. So we had to drive all over. We drove all the way out to, I can't remember what town it was in, maybe Newcastle. We drove out to an Ikea and bought a bunch of boxes of Ikea furniture home and things like that. So driving was the first most immediate, like pressing need. And then, um, like just eating, you know, getting used to the office and stuff like that. So in the first two weeks, this was before we moved into our house. Remember I said we had like a two week lurch where we were waiting, um, to find a house and then move in and all of that. So we were staying with somebody that lived near the office and, um, they were a fun family. They were actually an American family who had been there for over 10 years. They kind of like moved over there to, um, for a, a short term thing. And then they ended up loving it and they ended up staying. So they had two little girls and, um, we stayed with them. So during that two weeks, we were getting used to like the whole pedestrian culture, you know, because you just really, most people, if you live close enough to walk places, you walk places. So you walk to work, you walk 
home from work, um, you know, you stop at the grocery store on the way home and you buy just what you need for dinner that night. You don't go and do like a big, huge grocery shop. Everybody found it super odd that we would go grocery shopping once a week and we would drive to the other end of town to the Asda, which was the biggest store in town because it was owned by Walmart. Okay. It was the only store in town where you could buy more than one type of thing. So like they have really... Um, kept the idea of specialty shops going. So, you know, there's a store for tools and a store for car stuff and a store for um, food and a store for medicine and a store for shoes and a store for shirts and a store for light bulbs and you get the drift. So, but except for Asda and Asda was owned by Walmart. So we would drive to the other end of town to go to Asda once a week on the weekends and we would do our big grocery shop for the week. And that was just, you know, people were really puzzled by how much food we were buying at one time. (laughs) We'd be standing in line with like a whole cart full of food and everybody else would have like three items. So anyway, uh, we mastered the driving thing. And so then it was like, okay, let's get used. Let's start figuring out the getting around town, walking around town, figuring out the whole, um, office, culture, you know, what does everybody do for lunch and all that kind of stuff. So the office was directly across the street from a little sandwich shop, which basically I think our office was, you know, highly proportionately responsible for keeping this place in business because the sandwiches were not that great, but it was right across the street from the office. So we always used them anytime we needed like food for an office wide lunch. We went over there and got sandwiches. So the name of the place was to me, very ironic <laughs> because it was La Baguette Bar. <laughs> so here I am in England thinking of like everything around the, you know, all the little shops around the corner is going to be like, get a spot of tea, have some, some scones and cream, you know, or like fish and chips. But no, it was La Baguette Bar <laughs> it was right across the street. So everybody went to La Baguette Bar like every day for lunch, you know, um, like every day. So we're like, okay, we'll be like everyone else. We'll go to La Baguette Bar. So I, like a confident American, just strode in. Like, I can order a sandwich. This is easy. This is not hard, you know. I don't need any help. Chris wasn't even with me. He was, like, busy working or something. I didn't really have a job at the time. I'll talk more about that later eventually, I'm sure. But I didn't have a real defined job role when we first got there because I was meant to be teaching, but there was no teaching capacity. um, And that's a long story. But anyway, um, so I'm like, I'm going to go over there and get a sandwich. So I go walk in the place and the line is just about out to the door. And instead of being like a smart foreigner and standing in line and, and listening to everyone give their order, you know, and like thinking about what I want to order and being ready when it was my turn. Instead, I just stood there like a 24-year-old, well, actually, I think I was 23, 23-year-old, 24-year-old American Dippy Doodle listening to the radio and being amused by the fact that the song that was playing was Nellie, (laughs) hot in here. (laughs) So... I'm just standing, you know, bopping along to hot in here. And then before I know it, it's my turn. So I give a quick glance at the menu and I see, okay, there's like a, you know, a French dip. So I'm like, I'm at La Baguette Bar. I should get the French dip. So I'm like, 
yeah, hi, um, I would like a French dip. And what's really funny is that people were super puzzled by our accents because of us being Southern. But what's funny, I mean, I don't, I don't think that I have a really strong accent. I, certainly not as strong as someone who, like, whose both parents are from the South. My mom is, was born in Minnesota and does not have a Southern accent. And my dad, I mean, you can hear that when I say Minnesota, Minnesota. Like, don't I sound so Northern when I say that? So my mom was born in Minnesota and then my dad is from Texas, but my dad doesn't really talk like a, the only time he talks like a Texan, in my opinion, is when he gets on the phone with his friends from Texas and then he kind of slips into it. But he doesn't really talk like a typical Texan. He doesn't talk like a Southerner and neither did my mom. So I didn't get any of that Southern influence at home. It all came from school. So that was a limited influence in my life. But compared to, I mean, stark contrast to a British accent. And even more so, we lived in the very northern part of the country in a town called Carlisle, which is in a a region of the country called Cumbria. And the Cumbrians have kind of a, like, people make fun of them for having sort of like the redneck accent of England. So here I am with my American redneck sounding accent. And then here they are with their British redneck sounding accent. This was obviously going to create a situation. So like I said, it's my turn. I bebop up to the counter, you know, I'm singing along to Nellie and they're like, you know, it's time to order. She's looking at me like order. And so I'm like, Hey, um, can I get, um, a French dip? And she's like, okay, do you want large or small? And I'm like, oh, just small is fine. Thank you. And she's like, do you want me to put it in a pot? And I'm like, what? And look at her and she's like, do you want me to put it in a pot? And I'm like, now I'm panicking. What? Like, I'm sweat dripping down my back. Like, I am nervous. Everyone, like, remember how I said the the line was out the door? Yeah, it's still out the door because people just keep coming in. Keep coming in. There's probably some of my coworkers. I don't know. I'm panicking. I just keep looking at her and she just keeps repeating. Do you want me to put it in a pole? And I'm just so flustered by the fact that, like, we are speaking the same language and I don't understand a word she is saying. And so finally, she goes, do you want me to put it in a pot? Like I was going to understand it if she said it slower. <laughs> like this is what we do to other people, isn't it? I was totally being served some humble pie right here. Like gigantic bitefuls of crow going down the gullet. Finally, the guy standing in line next to me saves me and leans over and goes, she wants to know, do you want the French dip sauce in a pot so you can take it to go? And I'm like, oh, do you want me to put it in a pot? Oh, pot means like to go cup. Oh, yes, I want that. And then I just like, I can feel the tears hot, you know, those embarrassing, like hot tears. I can feel the hot tears welling up and I'm just like, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry, don't cry. And so she like very, you know, annoyed, like gets my French dip with my 
all juice in the pot and bags it all up and gives it to me. And I basically run out of there. Like I get me out of here. And so I fled. I did not go back to the office because that would have been so embarrassing because I was definitely crying. So instead I went and sat on a picnic bench and cried. (laughs) And then just like, you know, and I'm one of those people that when I cry for like an hour afterwards, I'll do the phantom like, and so I had to sit there for a really long time <laughs> to, get, to get the sniffles and the huffle puffles or whatever, the huffs and the puffs, not huffle puff, good grief. That's like Harry Potter. Um, yeah, had to hold that park bench down for a little while. So after that, guess what I did every time I went into the baguette bar? I will tell you what I did. I did not order a French dip. <laughs> Too traumatized, too triggered, never did have that sandwich again. So anyway, that was a very early in the process lesson learned is that, you know, although we speak the same language, that is a technicality and it was a struggle every single day to communicate for those first several weeks and probably months. And here comes another train. Hello, train. Um, y'all are probably like, why do you keep announcing that to us? We know when the train is going by. I know. I can't help it. It's like when your dress has pockets. Okay. What do you do the whole time you're wearing it? Someone comes up and says, I like your dress. And what do you say? It has pockets. I have a train. All right. Anyways, the, um, baguette bar experience taught me that, you know, we speak the same language, but not really. So I need to learn. I need to learn what to say and what not to say. I didn't have too many tricky situations come up because there are a lot of words that it's an, you know, the, the language is English, but in British English, this word means this. In American English, this words mean that. This word means that. And only once or twice did I get myself into a really embarrassing situation. Um, one of which was with the cable guy who came to install our cable box he was exhibiting a plumber's crack. And I, as a joke, I said, Hey, you could really use some suspenders to hold up your pants. And then later I found out that suspenders means garters and pants means underwear. Yeah. So that happened. Okay. The final, if I'm doing story time, story time of reminiscing story time of my England year was that when we got our house, so this is like two weeks in, um, we got the keys to our row house or actually I'm having a hard time remembering if they, what they call it. If they call it a row house, I know they don't call it a townhouse. I know that's not the case, but we'll call it a row house. That sounds close. So we got, we found a row house that was about a 20 minute walk from work, which was very typical. Most people walked about that distance to get to work. And we did walk, um, almost all the time. Um, even when it, we even learned how to be those people that walk to work in the rain. That was crazy. (laughs) But we did, we walked to work most of the time. So we found this great little row house that was in a neighborhood that was like, if you're going to live in England for a year, okay, what are some things you might want to see? Really old stuff, right? Okay. Well, this town in Carlisle just happens to have the oldest, cathedral in all of England still standing. And it was on our way to work. We got to walk right through the cathedral grounds. 
Um, and then the other thing that's cool is that Carlisle Castle is right there, and it's famous because it imprisoned, I think, both Queen Mary, Mary Queen of Scots, and Queen Elizabeth I at one point. So that was awesome. We got to walk past the castle, so we walked down our street, and we'd see a, a castle on the way, and we would also see a cathedral on the way. But the best part, the absolute best part, is that it was down the street from the McVitie's Biscuit Factory, and... A biscuit is not a breakfast food. If you watch the British Baking Show, it is a cookie. A biscuit is a cookie. And so we lived on the same street as the as the cookie factory that makes the McVitie's digestives, which are the cookies that everybody eats at tea time. And the best ones, if you ever go there, are the plain chocolate digestives. And they have... It's like they bake the cookie and, and, uh, well, biscuit, they bake the biscuit. Okay. They're cookies. They like crunchy cookies, not chewy. So it's a crunchy cookie and then it's dipped in like semi-sweet chocolate. Oh, it's so good. And I have a dear friend named Sue who went to England several years ago and she asked me if there's anything I could bring back that she could bring back for me. And I was like, I would love you forever if you brought me a pack of plain chocolate digestives. And that was the best week of my life, getting to eat those biscuits every day. Oh, it was so great. I'm going to start crying if I think about it too much. (laughs) Guys, I love England so much. I want to go back so badly. And I'm really, I'm working on a plan to convince my husband that we should go live there. Not forever. I just want to go and live there for like a month. I just want to go live there for a month and just be able to show the kids what it was like and just live the life for like a month, you know, and then come back. I don't want to stay forever, but, oh, I'm so dying to go back. But anyway, this is the last story I'm going to tell you. So we got our um, row house rented and it was move-in day. We didn't have hardly anything to move in. We just had our bags. We had like six bags that we brought with us. So we, we pull up in the purple people eater and very clumsily, um, parallel park, because we were still pretty new to that. We, we very clumsily parallel park at the curb and, um, we get out. I don't think we got all our bags out yet. I don't think we were being that obvious and that, um, lame, but we're standing there and we're like, key, you know, stick the key in, turn, uh, and it's still locked. Okay. Let's try again. Pull the key out, put it back in turn the key, try the handle, still locked. Okay. We finally get it. Somehow we finally get it. So then we get the door open and we're like, okay. Um, it seemed like maybe we're having a little trouble with this door. Let's make sure that we can lock it, you know, from the inside or whatever. So we're standing there inside the door and we're like, turn in the key, turn in the key. And nope, it's, it's not locking. Okay. Well, what's going on? So at this point we're kind of flustered just a little bit. And so we're standing outside our door and talking amongst ourselves, like, how do you, how the heck do you get that? Like, why is it so hard to open? Like, how the heck do you get it to lock? And about this time, a guy who, with his, like, he looks so British, he's got his, like, over the shoulder, you know, leather satchel bag on, walks up to the door right next to us and, like, Puts his key in, turns the lock, and goes to go in. And we're like, oh my gosh. We're looking at each other like, it's our neighbor. We should introduce ourselves, you know? But he's like clearly just going to go straight in and like close the door. 
And so Chris is like, hey, um, hey, hi, um, and he's like, er, like frozen and then turns and looks at us like, why are you talking to me? (laughs) So we're kind of like, yeah, hi, um, hi, sorry, I'm sorry, so sorry, um, that was one thing we learned really quickly is that you apologize for everything. Sorry, so sorry, um, sorry, I don't mean to bother you, but like, hey, we're your neighbors, you know, nice to meet you, and he's like, "Uh uh-huh, he's just kind of looking at us, and then we're like, listen, um, um, we can't seem to get our door to lock, like, is there some kind of secret handshake or something that we don't know about? (laughs) Like, we don't even have to say, like, we're Americans. It's so obvious. And he's like, oh, yeah, you have to engage the deadbolt, you know. And so we're like, uh, yeah, so how do we do that? You know, because in America, your deadbolt is separate. You have your, on the top, you have the deadbolt. And on the bottom, you have the other. This did not have that one. It it only had one place to put a key. It only had one way to lock. So he ends up humoring us and walks over and shows us that in order to get your door to lock, you have to go inside your house, you, you pull the door shut, and then you take the handle, and it's like a it's like a straight handle, not like a round knob, you know? You know what I'm talking about? Like, usually we have them on, like, they're on, like, our screen door or whatever, or, like, a closet door. Anyway, you take the handle, and you have to jack it up, like, real fast, like, like, um, like, cocking... A, a gun, you know, or like, you know, working the pump action on a shotgun, you have to like pump this thing up and then back down. And that is how you engage the deadbolt. And then there's some similar, like, you have to push it like down, like down the other direction to disengage the deadbolt after you've locked it. So anyway, basically what I'm saying is he taught us how to lock our door. So we were grateful, you know, also embarrassed, but mostly grateful. And so we were like, okay, you know, so, okay, it's, you know, so great to meet you. Like, I'm Lindsay, he's Chris. And um, to this day, I can't remember his name. I feel kind of badly about that. But the last thing he said before he went inside was he was like, all right, you know, it's cool to meet you. And I can't remember exactly how his, how his uh, accent sounded like because the Cumbrian thing was kind of, it's, it's just hard. It's hard to imitate. But he's like, yeah, so like, sometimes, um... You might hear me, like, play my guitar because sometimes I like to get drunk and play my guitar. Bye. <laughs> Went in his house, closed the door. And we're like, oh, okay. You know, that was kind of him to give us the heads up. So we have a neighbor. He's really nice. He taught us how to lock our door. And he warned us that sometimes he gets drunk and plays his guitar. Okay, cool. Seems like a good setup. So... Um, it wasn't right away, like, it wasn't that night or anything, you know, but eventually, um, maybe a couple weeks later, I don't know, I don't think it was real soon after that, we were, it was the evening hour, late, and we were in bed, about to go to sleep, and all of a sudden, from the other side of the wall, we hear... Do you want to be an American idiot? Green Day. Green Day was his choice. Oh my gosh, it was hysterical. The very first time he got drunk and played his guitar, it came out Green Day. I mean, could there have been a better, could there have been a better choice? I think not. Oh. <sighs>
so just a few things, just a few reasons why I'm missing England so bad right now in this September month, the month we moved to England so many years ago, the month that uh, we learned how to drive on the left side of the road and I learned how to speak British English sort of, or at least not speak British English in an embarrassing way, speak American English in, in, in an embarrassing way. And we got serenaded by our drunk neighbor. All of these reasons are the reasons why I miss England. So now you can um, feel sorry for me and I'm going to go inside and brew a cup of tea and um, maybe cry a little. The last time I felt like this, I actually went and watched Bridget Jones's diary, <laughs> which was ton funny too, because it was the first time I'd ever seen it. So it was like discovering England all over again. And I only ever watched the first one. So maybe what I should do right now is go inside and watch the second one. That seems like a good idea, right? Or I could just go inside and listen to this. Or not. Maybe not. Maybe I won't do that. Oh, but I will do this. Before I go, I will say that if you made it all the way through this, I love you. And Jesus says too, good night. Or good, good night. How do the Brits say goodbye? I can't remember anymore. I guess I'll go cry about that too. <laughs> all right, bye. Kevin McLeod, winner, winner.